Farming Banker Podcast. My name is Jeremy Dutch. I am the farming banker. I'm a commercial and agricultural lender for German American State Bank. I'm a member of Dutch Farms, a row crop operation that custom feeds hogs. I've got a ag washing business uh, and a uh, part-time football coach as well. So what you can find on this podcast is pretty much anything across the board that uh, maybe revolves around agriculture, banking, washing, and or maybe a little bit of football. Uh, from this point going forward, I am actually going to be recording a lot of my podcasts through YouTube uh, with some slideshows. On this podcast, you'll see some audio version of that. If you'd like to see the video that encompasses some of the slides and everything else, please visit my YouTube channel. It's uh, Jeremy Dutch, uh, the farming banker. I'm going to put the uh, link to that on the main page of this Podbean app um, in my homepage and embed it into the episodes as well if you'd like to go see that. Um, if you'd like to be on the show or you have any questions for the Farming Banker, please reach out to me. I am on all social media platforms under The Farming Banker or Farming Banker. Uh, otherwise, you can reach me via email at jeremy at farmingbanker.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Jeremy Dutch. I am the farming banker, and uh, I get to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on, um, a little bit of an outlook more from uh, probably a banking interest rate uh, perspective. So um, this one is a, is a fun one. There's a lot of stuff going on and um, a lot of things to be paying attention to. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I don't give some of you PTSD <clears throat> from some past experiences, but uh Kind of thinking that uh, we're in some unprecedented times, and so I'm going to go through some fundamentals, that type of stuff, uh, just to talk about what I think is on the horizon. I'm going to attack it um, from a perspective of inflation, interest rates, um, what's driving inflation um, in three key sectors in my mind that pertain to really agriculture. And, and I'm trying to take, just so you guys understand what I'm trying to do, is I'm trying to take geopolitical risk. China, all of that off the table and just look at it from, um, you know, maybe a, a domestic GDP thing that's going on here. So before I do that, I got to, uh, you know, just recognize the things that I'm passionate about. You know, I got uh, farm, uh, farm family freedom is kind of the things that, that, that drive me. And so we've got the farm picture of it. You got my family here. Um, really need to update this picture. This little, this guy here is, uh, uh, almost done with his first year of college. This guy's going to be a senior. Um, and then you can see the flag in the back uh, with me. So I always try to try to capture that farm family freedom. So this next slide, I hope it doesn't give pe uh, people a bunch of PTSD. And so the title of my, um, you know, the title of all this here is that I, I think that, you know, the 80s are here, but no one's willing to admit it. So this is what's on my radar, guys. Um for uh, you, you seasoned uh, uh, farmers that have been around a while, um, if, it, if this makes you cringe, I apologize if some of the, the younger guys, gals that are farming think I'm crazy because this will never happen. Um, hopefully you'll walk away with just the least uh, some awareness of some things to be looking at. So dive right into it. <clears throat> um, I think I've attacked this from kind of a, a, a two perspective, uh, maybe not two perspective, but two time frames. Uh, because I really think we're either um, a, a prelude to the 80s or we're about to see the 80s. So I guess we're kind of in this pre-80s, but nobody's really willing to admit it. I think that we're here from a lot of perspectives. Um, 
And so I, I, I've kind of, what I've done is I've compared uh, 1973, 74, a little bit of 75, not a lot. Um, and then again, 1978, 79, and 80 um, with what's been going on here in the last three years uh, to put some things in, in perspective. So that's really my presentation. Let's dive into it. I, I think that, you know, it, it, these are the issues I'm going to tackle. I think that you know, inflation is still an issue. I think interest rates are still going to rise. I think, you know, some of these rates are going to be here to stay. I know there's people that want to talk about recession on the horizon, and then that will, you know, trigger the Fed to lower rates. I don't think so. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm a no-goer on that side. I do not believe that. I believe high energy costs are still here to stay. Um, I think asset levels that are an all-time high and I think debt levels are stable for now, but there's a lot of things going to happen in the next five years, five to 10 years that could put some stress on that. So buckle up. I think that, um, you know, I, I think this is quite a ride. So let's just dive into some fundamentals. Um, this is uh, inflation, just an inflation chart. And so if you look at this, we this is where I'm saying I'm, I'm not quite sure if we are to look at a period of time that seems similar to ours. This whole part right here is is the mid to late 70s, early 80s. And so you can see where we're at here. And, you know, I almost I almost feel like from an inflation perspective, we're in this time frame um, kind of in here or around this time frame where we've got um, that we had higher inflation in the early 70s. It, it kind of reared back a little bit we were aggressive on cutting rates and then it came back with a vengeance in the 80s and so one of the things that i've been hearing a lot of economists say is that the fed has learned from that mistake and that they're not going to ease up because they don't want to see prolonged high interest rates rates like we did in the 80s but i'm saying that there's too many fundamentals that say if that's their goal is to attack inflation that it's here for a while so just a, a, a chart on this to show you hey you know, where else have we seen these time frames where we've seen inflation peak, come back down um, to peak again? Uh, we saw it in the 80s. We saw it in the uh, mid-70s. We saw it during uh, war times, and we saw it in the Great Depression. So inflation rate today, technically what they're saying is 6.41. Um, it was 6% in 73, 11 in 74. Uh, came back down some of the high rates that they they put in, um, curbed that, they dropped rates, and it started to rear its ugly head as it went from 7 to 11 to 13 in 1980. Um, and so inflation in 21 was 4%. It got as high as 8% in 2022. There's a little argument of saying that potentially that was closer to 9 10%. Um, but, you know, it, it gives you an idea that inflation's come back a little bit. Um, and then recently here, the Fed's talked about, and some of the economists have talked about how they, they, were, um, they were shocked at how quick inflation rebounded um, in, in the latter half of 22 and the first part of 23. So I think that infl it rates, inflation's here to be a pressure to us. Uh, so let's look at rates. Um, you know, the prime rate in uh, 73, you know, moved from 6.75 to 10. This is kind of what I'm saying. The Fed was... It, 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 in a little bit of a yo-yo that I don't think they really want to be there anymore. And and so in 73, we had rate adjustments that went from 675 to 10. 74 it was 10 down to 8, back to 11. 78, we went from 8% to 11 and a qu uh, three quarters. You can see the trend, 79. And then everybody knows this trend here where it went from 11% to 21.5%. So, you know, you look at this chart. 
And, you know, one of the things that I see here, this is obviously the 80s, the lead up to it. Um, this, I believe, is the dot com, um, you know, 9-11. This is the housing crash. This is where we were headed prior to COVID and boom, right there is COVID. And then we're, we're back on a fast track up in this area. And so you can see um, in 2021, we were three and a quarter. In 2022, we went from three and a quarter to seven and a half. And in 2023, we just went from seven and a half. And we're currently at 775 with, you know, projection of about another one to two percent higher. And so will it get into this? No, but we can certainly start to see some of these peaks, some of these valleys when this happened. And I think we're still climbing on this. And this is why I'm saying be prepared to, to, to see these rates um, up in this area for a while. And I would think I would say that I would be prepared to see them here longer than we saw in this great recession housing collapse in that. Um, this is what I think is a majority of what's driving inflation um, is our energy costs. And so I just want to compare um, charts on that side. You can see this is, you know, run up of energy co uh, costs here in, you know, the 80s. Um, it kind of yo-yoed back down here and we started, you know, running back up. This is the Great Recession. And then it kind of came back down and as we run back up here. So as I look at, at energy costs um, driving inflation, you know, the thing that I really look at is we've got this peak, this valley, this peak, this valley. And where does this peak end up? You know, it's come back down a little bit here today, but, you know, if you look at the amount of years and the periodic trend of how long this this peak has been in these energy prices, I'm kind of looking at this right here saying we're at the beginning of another peak before we see another valley. So you couple that with some of the things that are going on geopolitically. Um, you think about some of the things that are going on with some of the um, um, you know, green initiative. I don't think we're going to see a heck, a heck of a lot of relief on the side of energy costs. And energy costs are, are one of the biggest contributors to the inflation that we're seeing today. The other uh, couple other factors here, this is really what, what I'm kind of looking at and saying is uh, probably the hottest part that's, um, this is maybe the hottest, if not the second hottest of the, what's going to keep inflation here long term. I think energy is what's keeping us, uh, what's driving it right now, but what's going to keep us here long term is that I think our government spending. You know, when you look at this, let's just take a look at the time frame, okay? We had a, a period of this blue line represents the revenue that government brings in, and the red line represents the spending. And so if you look at this, big spending in the 70s, early 70s, when we started to see inflation, uh, spending again in the early 80s. We kind of came back down. We got spending that happened during this whole stimulus of the Great Recession. And is um, if you were to, to track this out even farther, I wish I had an updated um, chart here. But this is up in this area, and the revenue is, is right here. So this gap continues just to get wider and wider and wider. And so, you know, government spending is out of control. And so the more money that they put in circulation, um, the more inflation we have. And that does not look like it's coming to an end. When you look at our social programs, when you look at, you know, how much um, Social Security, Medicare, all of that's going to take with, you know, our demographics and what's going on, plus the funding of some of the, you know, uh, um, 
foreign policy that we have at this point, this is out of control. And so when I look at this, I I, I mean, I'm, I hate to be a bearer of bad news or a Debbie Downer here, but I think government, can, you know, spending's out of control. We're spending, you know, a uh, hundred plus to our GDP, you know, our money supply feeds inflation, inflation feeds higher rates. I mean, until we change our monetary policy and, and you know, administration that, that wants to look at different foreign policies and in, in our reform of some of our social programs, I, I, I think that this is here. Um, the other side of this that uh, I, I don't believe gets as much of attention as it should, and that is the, um, the the unemployment wage side of things and how that that feeds inflation. And so, if you look at it from this perspective, um, one of the things that 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 you look at is it is is um, so this vacancy rate versus this unemployment rate. We got an inverse here, so we've got more jobs available than we have workers to fill up. And so when that happens, obviously employers have to pay higher wages to attract employees to work for them. Those higher wages get passed on to higher goods, higher services, you know, onto the end user, which again, spawns inflation. So if we cover the three things that I think are spawning inflation, one of them, first one is um, energy costs. Second one is government spending. And the third one is our unemployment. And so Let's just focus on those three things and say those three things just alone outside of any of the geopolitical risk, outside of any of the weather, supply, demand, anything else we figure out and, and deal with on the farm. These three things are, are, are what I think is the, is the thing to watch. And so when you look at this, the problem that we have is that the amount of people retiring due to the baby boomers and the amount of people that we can backfill this is causing this unemployment rate to continue to drop. And, and what economists are kind of saying is that if you want inflation where we're at today, okay, from an un unemployment standpoint, where we're at today, if you wanted, if you were to look and say, hey, just unemployment was going to fix inflation, the unemployment rate would have to be close to 10% to curb inflation. Now, you look at where unemployment is right now, it's just slightly below four with the amount of vacancies that's going on. I don't see where we're ever going to fix it from an unemployment standpoint. I, I think, you know, you're going to have the, um, you're going to have um, technology replace some of these jobs and we're, we're going to stabilize some of that um, at some point with innovation, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. And that's not going to fill the hole that's, that's going to be left with all the baby boomers retiring. So, Again, when you look at this, there's a lot of factors that say that we are in or prelude to the 80s on dealing with some severe issues coming down the, the line um, as far as inflation. And then that in turn, you know, is government spending, interest rates, that type of stuff. So um, just wanted to put that that perspective in as to how many are actually leaving. Um, and then this is just another little slide that goes into the social government spending part of it. And so this side of the column shows you how many people are retiring per day. This side shows you how many people are retiring per month. Um, about 1958 to 1960 birth dates are, the, um, are, are about where the baby boomers peaked. This is where we're going to see the peak time of retirements. And then it really goes all the way out to roughly around 2028 before it starts falling down. So you can start to see that we're going to near, you know, almost 200,000 people 
uh, or plus 200,000 people uh, retiring in the next few years. And so, you know, and they're going to be in retirement. People are living longer. So we've got an aging population that drives, you know, social spending and some Medicare. We've known that this has been an issue um, for a long time. There's been forecasts that Social Security is going to run out. Um, you know, we know that there's some some issues with there. We know we've got uh, Medicare. We've got an aging population with most of the, the capital and liquidity. I believe that they're going to demand more um, stable investment, more CD money, more liquidity, uh, liquidity, you know, income, growth, bonds um, type stuff. I don't think it's going to be in growth. And so I think that this, you know, this this higher rate environment is going to going to be here because I think that that is this this populace and all the capital is going to be stuck into this, you know, protection mode with their money. It, it's going to it's going to draw some competition there. So let's just switch gears and, and just show you a little bit of where, where I think from a, a farm, net farm perspective, where that's a little bit closer to how they were in the 80s. And that's um, land values. You know, land values are high, rents are high, machinery's high. You know, is that machinery high because of tech or demand or, you know, just the, the cost of um, goods due to supply chain? I, I don't know. It's probably a combination of all. Inputs are high, commodity values are high, even though they're starting to decline and we're seeing some pullback. I feel like in all of these categories, they're at their height. And so if you look at this column over here, what, 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 I'm, what I'm unfamiliar, I shouldn't say unfamiliar, but what, what I'm keeping an eye on is this, this hill, how big does it climb? Does it mirror this in the 80s? And so you can see asset values, right? The blue, or green here is non-real estate. That's your machinery, you know, um, that type of stuff. This here is real estate. You could see it climbed, went down. We have been on a slow climb. I think really this is a pivotal time here. This is a slow climb when we started to see ethanol and $4 corn. And we bumped along the road. We all know what happened with super cycles and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at farm assets, I'm not talking about price corn, but farm assets. We've been on a slow build. And I want to know, is this build go up to here before it falls? Is it going to fall right here? I think how high and long we build this is going to dictate how, how far we come back down. And so as you look at what happened in the 80s, these built, and when this came down, this is what put a lot of farms in trouble is this asset decline. So... Just keep an eye on that kind of stuff. I think those are some things just to be looking at. Same thing on debt. You know, so if you look at this, debt levels are climbing. Um, I believe operating debt is going to start growing fast. Um, I believe it's going to start growing fast again in, in 20, maybe not 2023, but 2024. Um, because we're seeing tighter margins. We're seeing higher inputs. Um you know, I, I think we're going to see working capital or, or, or road, which is going to cause a little bit more operating debt. Um, we're already seeing that, you know, just an, just an overall trend of growth here. Um, I think intermediate debt is increasing fast as you start looking at, you know, replacing machinery and what it costs today versus where it did five years ago. Um, we just, we're going to borrow more money. It's costing more. Um, and then long-term debt, same thing on that side. I mean, if you're buying any acreage today, you know those. Again, that's back to this chart here. Asset levels are at their height. So if you're going to buy it, uh, unless you're buying it for cash, if you're going to leverage that, that leveraging is going to continue to go up. This is the key that I think we need to keep um, a, a, an eye on. And that is 
you are going to have a little bit of rig shock with your intermediate debt. So this this non-real estate, I think, is going to continue to get stressed as you turn over your machinery and as you start to borrow more on the line. What scares me, and this is why I think this is different from the 80s versus um, today than what it is there, is that this real estate debt, it, if it does reprice, what is it repriced to? And so... If you took um, a 10-year, 5-year, 15-year adjustable on your on your land values or your the debt against the land, where does this go, um, you know, if, if you've got to reprice the next 5 to 10 years, given all the factors that I've outlaid as far as unemployment rate, um, cost of oil, all of that kind of stuff, does that drive rates up and is that a big sticker shock? Um, and then the other side of that, is that if these debt levels continue to climb and you need liquidity and working capital, where do we typically go to get it? We go from our long-term asset right here and we inject liquidity back in, which will raise this debt level against real estate, which is what happened here as well. So the longer-term worry for me is, is, it is, is we see some stress in some of the current and intermediate debt levels that that's going to drive recapitalization in our equity positions, along with repricing on some of the adjustables that are coming up. And so my question is, are we as stable as we think? I don't know. This is another swing factor here. Um, and this is something that's starting to gain some popularity. Um, and if you don't know about this, uh, this is coming down the line and, and this you should be concerned about this. This is, um, we've got a little bit of a a, what I want to call a small banking crisis with liquidity. And so banks are struggling with liquidity right now. Our deposits are repricing a heck of a lot faster than our loans. And so to put this in perspective, this is what that's like. Um, if you were to buy all of your NP and K at high levels in the fall, and you didn't sell your, your you know, didn't sell any corn at that high level, if it was at the heights, who knows, maybe it wasn't. But let's just say you bought your NP and K and some of your seed um, in the fall at height levels. And then when you come around and you're starting to really start to think about, okay, well, now I need to reprice some grain. Well, the grain that you can reprice isn't as high, um, is, uh, it doesn't cover the cost of what those MP and K and seed costs were. And so now you've got where your revenues are exceeding your, 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 uh, your costs are exceeding your revenues. We're close to that situation right now in banking. And so here's what this is drawing, okay? This is creating banks to be very, very selective with their liquidity. It is causing them to want to, 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 to gain margin again, which is pushing rates again back up. Um, and they're also gonna be very selective on what deals they take on. So if liquidity is stressed, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be just lending it out willy-nilly. So you, the lending standards are gonna uh, tighten, your access to credit is gonna dry up, and so if you're in a position where you need to, to, to inject some equity back in, you need to go through some, you know, um, expansions, you know, things of that sort, you, you better be probably talking to them now and getting this, you know, looked at. Because, um, you know, if you look at this from, a, again, from a, a farm perspective, most of the land values on the farm um, and term debt on the farm is in that four to four and a quarter percent uh, locked at this point in time. And if you look at what Fed funds are, which are 475, and then what we're starting to pay on CDs, which is around that 4%, we're almost right there where if we borrow from the Fed, it's at higher than what our assets are earning. 
And if we have to pay, you know, um, somebody to, to bring deposits into the bank so we can lend them out, it's almost right where our term debt assets are earning right now, too. So this is not getting a lot of talk, but this is going to be one of the biggest issues that agricultural faces because um, the regional, small, regional, local banks are the ones that are dealing with this uh, liquidity issue. And they're also the ones that fully understand or, or have the ability to want to understand to lend into agriculture. Your, your larger, you know, national banks, um, global banks, they have plenty of liquidity, um, but they're not the ones that are lending to you guys. They're not the ones that are that are they're sitting across the table talking this stuff. So get into, you know, let, let's keep an eye on this. This is something that is really could come down the road that could also uh, dry a lot of um, operations up on the ability to to be able to, to recapture, to, to kind of recover from any kind of loss of working capital. So <clears throat> now that I put that all in uh, out, out, out for you guys, um, you know, a couple of things to think about um, as we look at this, I just want to kind of re recap and where my head's at and why I said, here's, here's where we're at in the eighties. Is it, you know, um, high energy prices, I believe we've got uh, too much government spending. We've got unemployment that's really low and a workforce that's retiring at, at, at massive records. Uh, that workforce is going to be around um, for, for all the social programs. We have uh, banks that are struggling and, and, and going to struggle with liquidity that are all pushing. Um, a, a, it could be a, a, a nice storm set up for something that's similar to the 80s. So that's a recap. Now here's what to do. You know, I would say what to do on this is you got to keep access to working capital and in, in your liquidity. Th this has got to be your number one, because working capital and liquidity is basically your how many years forward can I live if I had a bad year? And so if if the scenario that I outlined, right? Okay, you've got revenues that do not that, that don't come that don't match your expenses, and we're pretty close to that. We're pretty close to that right now. And so if you look at that and say, hey, I've got a negative net farm income that's true, okay, that's not you know, predicated or, or manipulated by a Section 179 or tax or prepaids and all that kind of stuff, but it's true, then how many years forward you can live with that loss depends on how much working capital and liquidity you have. So be very, very strategic with capital replacements um, when you're going to buy a combine and or put a new grain bin in, you know, be careful with that 30%, you know, 20% down. And when you want to use that, knowing that on the flip side, you could, you know, two years, you could have needed that 30%. So be very strategic with your capital replacements and guard your access to working capital and liquidity. If you, if you take nothing away from this, I think these two are your number one and two priorities. We already know this, but you know, it's been not been top of mind anymore um, on the interest risk. We've gotten, you know, accustomed to low interest rates where this doesn't matter. This this started to hurt some people last year. If you remember um, at the Allendale sum, Summer Conference uh, presentation I did, we talked about inversion that it just happened and, and outlaying, you know, how to mitigate some of your interest rate risk. If you did that and took plan, uh, part of that, congratulations. This didn't hurt. Last year didn't hurt you quite as bad. If you didn't, you felt the move of uh, 4% on operating money from the beginning of the year to the end. And so I think you got to mitigate your price risk. You got to mitigate your input risk and you got to start looking at how to in a, uh, mitigate your interest rate risk. I think when you use your capital, 
So if you buy prepaids, you know, if you if you're you know letting capital go out, I think you need to offset this use with lock-in margins to try to recapture it at the end of the year. If you're letting capital go out and you're not pricing, I think you're going to be you're you're going to see that capital leave and never come back um, until we get back into some super cycle type you know scenarios again. I think you need to be ready for tightened credit standards, as I've outlined on what's you know struggling with the banks. Um, you need to be looking for tighter credit standards with, in credit quality on the farm side. I mean, if we start seeing this um, happen, you know, your access uh, to credit with tightened credit standards just because the industry itself is starting to, to, to see a recession is going to be tough. So you have that coupled with what's going on with liquidity. I think you need to be ready for that. Uh, be ready for a rate shock on your term debt as it reprices. And, and there's a couple different ways that reprices as you go. And um, trade in a combine, get a new one. Maybe you take a little bit of debt against that. That's a reprice of your term debt. Even though you're saying, well, I'm, I'm not in an adjustable. Well, the money that you borrowed in 2018 that you paid off that you now have to borrow in 2023, there's a, there's a rate shock on that. And if you don't believe me, go talk to your bank about what a five-year rate is today. If you're in five-year adjustables, 10-year adjustables, 13, 15, you know, 20-year adjustables, depending on when that happens, be ready for that rate adjustment to be a shock too. And so what I would say for you guys and gals um, on, on your, your margins, or, or not on your margins, but your, your crop plans, start stressing your crop, crop plan. If you're not stressing it, you need to be stressing it. And if you think a 10% stress on the on the revenue side or 10% stress on the expense side or a 10, you know, a 2% stress on, you know, your overall interest rate, it's not enough. I, I would be closer to that 30%, that 5% interest rate increase. I mean, see what it does and, and start to look at, hey, this is what things could look like in five to six years um, if we continue on this path and be ready for that. And then lastly, this is a shameless plug. Um, you know what, if you're, not, if you're not working with the farming banker and our team, uh, you're, you're missing out. You need to use our five-step system to, to protect your farm legacy. We uh, are talking about a lot of these different things. Um, and if you're not getting what you need, um, start using us. Uh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to use our five-step system on you on how to protect your legacy. We've got this all top of mind. We're starting to put together answers for this. Um, so if you're not getting what you need, it's time to start looking for a new bank. Uh, do it now while you can before credit standards tighten up. And uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking for somebody that's going to be a good partner for you, um, we are. And I think we are because we think like farmers because we are farmers. If you look at our team um, of individuals, I think 95, 90, 95% of us are either farmers or grew up on a farm or still, um, you know, our parents have a family farm. So we're pretty embed embedded in that. So with that said, uh, if you need to get a hold of me, you've got my website, farmingbanker.com. All my contact information is there. My email, jeremy at farmingbanker.com, or you've got my phone number here, which is 815-420-5788. Again, 815-420-5788. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the time. Hope it helped.